So uh, if you're paying attention, you'll hear during this month's interview a very brief, very polite argument about the name of the American Civil War. Uh, it got me thinking about how many names has the American Civil War been called? So uh, I did a, a little bit of research, just a little, and to begin the show, here they are. The Civil War, the War Between the States, the War of the Rebellion, the War of Separation, the War for Southern Independence, the War for the Union, the Second American Revolution, the War of Northern Aggression, the War of Southern Aggression, the Confederate War, Mr. Lincoln's War, Mr. Davis's War, get this one, the Recent Unpleasantness, also the Late Unpleasantness, finally the War of the Sections, and uh, sadly, the Brothers' War. So, uh, there we go. Let's get into the show. Hey, it's in a book. I am your host, Lawrence Rouse. I am coming to you from Raleigh, North Carolina, and you are listening to It's in a Book. We are a monthly podcast uh, devoted to five little questions. Uh, We chase down pretty much whomever we can find and ask them these five little questions about books. And this month, I was fortunate enough to chase and catch my colleague, Jared Shu. He answered our question very, uh, very delightfully. I think you will agree with me. And uh, we... He also, rather, uh, suggested a book for us to read for uh, this month's reading selection. Um, That book is called One Second After, and uh, I just finished reading it last night. I started reading it at 9 p.m. and finished around uh, 2.45 a.m. So uh, it's it's a very quick read, very good, um, disturbing uh, on on multiple levels as well, but... um, uh, you'll you'll hear just the beginning of it tonight, and uh, even though the beginning of it is is good and well written, it it doesn't even give you a hint of of what the book is about. So I, I really, uh, if you like what you hear at all, I really suggest that you find the book and, uh, and read it or listen to it, however you'd like to uh, digest it as soon as you can. So um, that's pretty much what we have for you this month. Uh, Jared and I will begin to talk as soon as uh, the page break uh, is broken. And uh, afterward, you will hear a 20-minute selection from one second after. So uh, thanks for uh, for coming in to listen, and uh, we'll see you after the break. Okay, so our interview this month, uh, October 2014, is with my friend and colleague, Jared Shuey. Um, I just handed him a list of the five questions we're going to be discussing during this interview. Um, we've, we've previously talked about them as well. Uh, and right now I'm going to hit him with the surprise question, which uh, I think he listened to the podcast recently, so it's not really a surprise. So, uh, Jared, go ahead and, and tell us a little bit about yourself and, and uh, you know, your, your love of books <laughs> and uh, just whatever else you'd like the World Wide Web to know about you. Okay. All right. Uh, well, hey, how's it going? <coughs> yeah. Originally from Florida, um, you know, small town, like most people have never even heard of it, so I always say I'm from Gainesville. Where, uh, what's, where's the, the real place, though, the small town? Uh, Chiefland, Florida. Chiefland. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's off of Highway 19. If you blink, you'll miss it. 
but it's a great place to go grow up you know grew up on a farm and it was just you know pretty relaxed uh, pretty safe just a great place to grow up um right. <clears throat> what kind of farm? I mean, like just like a oh no, like chickens, uh, cows, no, or was it a specific? farm? No, like my my step family at the time. I mean, it was a it was a large farm, like you know, two thousand acres. We wow. grew tobacco, peanuts, watermelons, uh, raised cattle. <clears throat> so it was, a, it was a money farm. Huh? Oh yeah, like, it was a, it was a large farm, and it, I mean, oh, moving the table. I, I forgive um, you this once. Okay, <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, and it was a good time. Like you know, I didn't. I, you know, I got to work on the farm, especially if, you know, my family, you know, I had it easy, like, you know, they, they gave me everything I needed, and then if I wanted to do something extra, you know, I'd go out and work, and, you know, when they needed a lot of help, and, you know, as I got older, I worked more and more on the farm, but, right, yeah, man, I ended up joining the Army, yeah, I'd been wanting, wanting to be in the military for a long time, I, my dad was in the Marine Corps, so, uh, yeah, and that was it. I didn't really <clears throat> simplify. I'm, I'm yeah. a marine myself. Former yeah, I, marine. I almost I, marine, I always came, marine. You know, so close to just joining the Marine Corps because my the Army recruiter was like this fat slob, and <laughs> and I walked in there and this guy talked to me like he was straight out of the ghetto, and he was a fat white guy, and I was like, man, this this is if this is what it is, like I don't I don't want any part of that. But <clears throat> right, yeah, the other guy ended up tracking me down. And he was a good dude, my recruiter. Still stay in touch with him. He's like a family friend. Right, that's good. And, that's uh, rare too, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, got joined the army, X-ray. You know, um, that's how I ended up. You know, kind of traveling the world and ended back here <laughs> with you, working in the same office. Yeah, yeah. So uh, how old were you then? When I joined? Yeah. Oh, I was eighteen, man. 18. Like, yeah, eighteen. Fresh uh, face. Yeah, uh, I finished finished the course the at twenty. Um, yeah, <laughs> ready for the world. Yeah, I was definitely ready for the world, uh, and. <laughs> Yeah, at least I thought I was ready. Um, but yeah, I didn't really start reading a whole lot until, I guess, reading on my own until I was probably in middle school and like junior high. My my When I was a little kid, I always read like kids' books. And then in elementary school, I kind of got away from it. We had to do required reading. You know, I forget what they called it, like accelerated reader or something. And you only had a certain list of books. And I, I, I just could not... I couldn't handle it. <laughs> and when I got in, when I got into middle school and could kind of read on my own, and actually, you instead of just taking tests, you wrote book reports. You know, so right. I I read a actually started out reading a lot of military books, and the, you know they're easy reads. Um, a lot of like books about Vietnam or World War II. So right. interesting as, as a middle schooler. Huh? Yeah, it was kind of funny my, that, that at first my, some of my my parents. You know, they were like, oh my, you know, what the heck. But you know, it was what it was. I read a lot, like even fortuitous. Even in the car, you know, it's just <clears throat> sitting in, you know, have my nose in a book, reading a book, and I would, you know, run through one or two a week, probably. How old were you uh, the first time you read Ender's Game? I know you've read it. Um, actually, it it took me twice to read it. Um, I started reading it. You you didn't like it the first time? Are you kidding? No, I just ended up I ended up getting busy and putting it down. One of my other my old teammates. Uh, he suggested to me it's one of his favorite series of books and I started reading it on employment ended up getting worked up into something else and put it down and I just read it again or finished it recently and I really liked it I haven't read any of the other the right. other Speaker you know, for the Dead and Inside all, all the yeah, other stuff I, I'd like to I think <clears throat> I think the next series I'm going to try and tackle is the, the, the Bourne series mm, mm. Uh, I just found like the first three books for like a dollar awesome, <laughs> awesome. So, I love a cheap book uh, but yeah I mean that, that's it and then <clears throat> I've continued to read ever since for the longest time I've just read like non-fiction military books and now <clears throat> I've tried to branch out and read pretty much everything I know you and uh, 
Brett, Brett, we're we're talking about like Moby Dick, and yeah, I haven't really gotten into stuff that's out of the you know 20th century, but right, you know, I like um, Hemingway and Steinbeck stuff like that. So right, right. I do try and get a little bit, a little bit of classics, maybe not Dickens or anything like that. Melville, but, but you, you should read Moby Dick one day. It, it, I mean, you know, it's kind of maybe when you're when you're older, like an old man like me. Um, but <laughs> it's. It's definitely a, like really fine writing. You yeah, know? after um, after hearing you talk about it on the podcast, I've, it's kind of sparked my interest a little bit. And yeah. I don't know about reading the book on reading Moby Dick. Yeah, that, that's right. a, that's a little extreme. Don't go there. <laughs> but yeah, so now I've branched out. I've actually the past couple of years, um, I've I've tried to branch out a lot and read stuff. You know, political books. You know, economic books. Just you know, stuff like Malcolm Gladwell. Read a lot of his books. And right. I, that name sounds so familiar. <coughs> Tell me, what, what did you write again? Blink, uh, uh, The Tipping Point. Right, right. Okay, got it. Yeah, got it. Outliers. Um, yeah. Yeah, all excellent Statistics, books. Uh, like, you know, yeah, sociological the, statistics. The kind of thing, sort of thing that you're not necessarily smarter after. You don't really necessarily learn anything, but you're like, man, that's that's interesting, man. Like, you know, yeah. Uh, and it just makes you think about other stuff. Um, right. You know, maybe some medical books. Not Nothing too, too deep and... And detailed, you know, because I'll just fall asleep. But there's a couple <laughs> books like um, Survival of the, Survival of the Sickest, mm. and it's just easy reading. They make they make it they write it to be read like a novel, and then you'll just pick up on disease, and you're like, oh man, let me look that up and read some more about it. Yeah, you've um, read. Uh, gosh, I can't, I'm not gonna be able to think of the title now. It's like Germs and War or something like that. Uh, like, I haven't read Germs and War, but I've read uh, what's it. Germs, genes, and civilization—is that the same author? No, it's. But I think it's kind of along the same lines, and how like certain diseases have kind of shaped our Shape, society. Right, right. <clears throat> and yeah. you know, how doctors think is another good one. Or every patient tells a story. And again, they're just kind of like easy reads. Read like a novel, and but it just will give you kind of a brief overview of certain things that I'll go back and look up and right. and read more in depth about. So. Cool. Yeah, cool. that's that's where I am t- <laughs> today, pretty much. I like it. I like it. Uh, that, that's a good segue into the uh, into the questions because uh, we're we're going to use up all, all yeah. our material before we get into it. Okay. So, uh, uh, the the first question, uh, of course, uh, is um, <clears throat> how do you find the time to read? I mean, we work together, so I know you know work can be pretty busy. Just uh, how, yeah. how do you find the time to read in it, life? Though, it's you know, it's rough. I mean, anytime I'm on deployments, I read. <clears throat> Excuse me. I still got a little bit of that <clears throat> that cold going going yeah. around. Um, honestly, like I, I can squeeze, I'll squeeze in a little bit of reading here and there. Uh, these days, I don't really have as much time, and I don't make as much time as I would like. But I'll read. You know, if my wife's driving, if we're on a road trip, I'll be reading, and it drives her nuts because she wants me to keep her company. <laughs> read, read out loud to her. Uh, see, okay. Does so she my, not want to hear that, or, no, or you she, just don't want to do really it? She really does, and I just don't want to do it. I, I, I feel like I sound terrible reading out loud. And then I have to kind of like stop and think about it. When I read to myself, I just kind of read pretty, fa- read fairly fast. And reading out loud, I read slow as can be. And yeah, especially because this is like fall time now. Uh, it's our favorite time of the year. Both of our birthdays are in the fall, so we love it. And my wife bought um, The October Country by Ray Bradbury. <clears throat> it's like right. a bunch of short stories. I've read part of it before. Um, but that's a book she got for us to to read out loud together, and right. she reads to me a whole lot more than I read to her. You I scoundrel! To, I know it's it's horrible, and I feel bad about it. Um, I have to be in the definitely the right mood. Uh, sometimes, you know, she 
makes a face. I'll I'll decide to read, and she's like, "No, I don't. If you don't enjoy it, I don't want to. I don't want you to do it." But, wow. And I and I, wow. I don't know. It's not that I don't enjoy it. I just hate. I honestly I hate hearing myself read out loud. And right. And so I I feel like I'm getting more into it. And we have another book to read together. Um, was it the Halloween Party by Agatha Christie? Right. You know, right. again, kind of Halloween themed and fall time. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't. It's hard to find the time to read. I, I really have to <clears throat> make myself read these days. Um, I went on my computer and on my phone and deleted all like games and stuff like that. Um, Replaced them with books. Yeah, like I, <clears throat> I'm like, man, I was just spending. Even if I didn't spend a lot of time at one sitting, like playing a game or something, I just ended up. So I just wiped it all out. Right. So right. I would sit down and read. Um, and if I'm not reading, I'm usually listening to an audiobook. Yeah, I have that 45-minute <clears throat> drive to work, so I, I chew through audiobooks. Again, drives my wife crazy because as soon as we get in the car, I like, flip it on, and she doesn't want to hear that. <laughs> she, I mean, she listens to German audiobooks, but... Did, is she a German speaker? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I met my wife in Germany, so... Okay, uh, okay. Sometimes, even though her English is probably better than mine, right. it's... Listening to it, it, it's hard for her if they're reading fast or it's something complicated. It's hard for her to keep up with it sometimes. Right, but, right. But she enjoys a few of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. You, it, um, a really good book to read together. Like it, it's just uh, orally pleasing. It, I mean, like it is very lyrical. Is uh, uh, Lolita by uh, Nabokov? Okay. Um, Vladimir Nabokov. Um, that's one of the first books that uh, you know the, the friend and I who, who you know kind of I think we were, we were talking about it before the interview started how how the podcast came yeah. about and right. that was one of the very first books that we read in the car and, and it's really uh, just audibly uh, auditorily I guess you know orally yeah it just sounds good to to hear you know like Nabokov was a genius I'll definitely have to check that out man I, I've been trying to get more into it because I do enjoy when my wife reads to me and I hate not like reciprocating you know and I, and I do feel like she's just, gonna leave you for a man with a smoother <laughs> yeah, voice or, right, or at least yeah. with more confidence in his voice <laughs> yeah she probably will um yeah my wife and actually uh before we got married when we were still just kind of dating and friends she would send me books every time i was deployed she would send me a package and she usually she always put so much thought into the to the gifts and the packages and right. one of the things she would include were books that probably i wouldn't i wouldn't pick up and read on my own you know like right. um the Wizard of Oz, um, uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, yeah, you know, just stuff like that. And I, I really enjoyed it. Um, so I don't know. We both love to read, and it's just always been. But yeah, the, this job right <laughs> right now, it, it presses on my time. Actually, if I go hunting, sometimes I sit in the tree stand and read. You know, and I'll just like read read a paragraph and like look around, read a right, paragraph and look you, around. You ever missed any game that way? Uh, almost. I haven't. Well, you know, I, would, I don't know if I have or not. But I, right. one time I actually almost did. It walked by me, and, and I was like, oh, oh man, let me yeah, <laughs> put this that, down. That is really awesome. That's that, you're a pretty obsessive reader then that you would would miss a big book. I try to be man. In, in the name and, of uh, Hemingway. Yeah, I try to, but Hemingway would turn over in his grave at the thought of. Oh, that. I'm. I'm Oh yeah, I'm sure it would. <laughs> yeah. But. So, cool, cool. Well, um, the second question then, and you you kind of talked about it there a little bit. Uh, you know, the, the lovely suggestions of of your wife. But uh, how how do you decide what to read? Do you have like a, a, a method with regard to how you decide what to read, or uh, whatever the co whatever cover looks cool? You know. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I don't know. Sometimes I you know I'll hear about a book. Somebody will tell me about something, or I'll read about it in a magazine or in another book. Sometimes. Um, there's books that are referred to in other books. Mm -hmm. um, that's yeah, how, that's, a, that's a really good way to pick up on a book sometimes. Yeah, there's a book um, that was actually you know talked about in two books I read. 
and one was about like a, a soldier, a cell scout in Rhodesia, and he talked about this book. And another one was about, um, it's called The Devil's Guard, about, about these former Germans that joined the Foreign Legion. Mm-hmm. And they talked about this book called The Jungle's Neutral by a British guy who kind of did like, you know, guerrilla warfare in Malaysia in World right. War Two, And it, it, it was really good, but that's, you know, I read it twice in a book. And I'm like, I, I have to find this. Right, it. right. It must be good. <clears throat> and um, so, I, yeah, it's just stuff like that. You know, I kind of have, I, I, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's pretty random. I wouldn't say it's anything. I don't really think about it. Uh, the, the book I'm reading now, my stepdad um, actually suggested it to me. It's called... Um, Company H, mm, uh, mm. A side, fiction, nonfiction. No, it's nonfiction. It's uh, it's called Company H, a sideshow of the big show, and it's it's mm. probably one of the better, I guess, firsthand account, firsthand account of the the Civil War or the, you know, this War of Southern Independence, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's written by a Confederate private, but he was actually you know college educated, so it's very good read. He's a very good writer, right? Um, and it's, right. It's pretty entertaining. Yeah. Um, and then I think next up on the list is a, a book my dad and stepmom got me for my birthday called um, Killing Patton. Mm-hmm. It's by Bill O'Reilly. It's a new one that just came out. Right. Yeah. Man, he's, he's pretty prolific. That, yeah. He's always writing something. Yeah, up. I've never read any of his stuff before, so I'm ne- kind of interested have I. Neither in have I. reading so this have one. To check it out. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting that you mentioned the, you know a, a war story by a, a uh, Civil War private uh, war for Southern Independence yeah. private um, because uh, I, I was listening to a podcast on the way uh, into work this morning. It's called um, Entitled Opinions. You, you should okay. check it out if you ever get a chance. Yeah. It's uh, I think it's Princeton, one of the Ivy League schools. Um, this guy Robert, gosh, I, I'm I can't, I'm tr- like trying to plug his podcast for him, and I, I can't even think of his name right yeah. now. But um, he was uh, interviewing uh, another author who had just recently written a book. Um, recently being 2009 about the rise of the creative writing program Mm -hmm. you know in in the university setting and he talked about you know the GI Bill having been like a you know really kind of plussed up the university system because it was like this huge influx of money and students you know via the GI Bill after after the World War um, or I guess the the Second World War um, and a lot of soldiers you know became writers um, so yeah, it's like <clears throat> there's a comedian I can't remember his name. One of my teammates, you know, told me about this this skit, and I won't say it on the podcast because it's you know kind of explicit, but uh, <laughs> it's it's pretty funny. It just talks about how yeah you read letters from World War One or World War Two, and everyone was a poet pretty much. Right. And now you know I can barely spell. I have to have spell check. Or, <laughs> yeah, I can't yeah. remember how many soap notes I've rewritten because I just can't spell. Yeah. Well, you know what? Some people say that, or, or some people would attribute that to. There's this whole idea, you know, that, that war is something that, you know, has never gone away in the entire human history. And, and you know, some people say it, it's necessary and that it brings, you know, to the forefront certain qualities of of, of, of humanity, you know. And, and a testament could be made to that via what you said in that... Um, you know, World War Two was so much more terrible. Yeah. You know, like technologically, like mm-hmm. we, you know, like we were just shredding each other to pieces with, with, you know, with metal. Yeah. And now, you know, we use bombs and technology a little more, and so the war is more precise in, yeah. in terms of the the damage that we can inflict, you know, and and how pinpoint we can do so, but maybe it doesn't give rise to the same sort of poetic expression of, of the suffering that, that we're experiencing? Yeah, it pro- yeah, I would say that's that's pretty good. Um, 
I think that's a pretty good observation, actually. I mean, you you do have some stories and like poems and stuff from these wars, but not nearly as much. Yeah, we need more brutal war <laughs> yeah. to bring back. You know, <laughs> like I know this, this war we're fighting now. You know, the way we're fighting is too easy, I guess. Yeah, it's funny we talk about that. Whenever I was deployed in. Uh, you know, and again, before my wife and I were actually married and we were just dating and um, one of my team, you know, it was kind of, to me, I was worried like, oh man, is it on the, th- you know, how's this going? And I wanted it to be go a bit faster, I think. Um, but one of my teammates, an old wizened uh, guy on my team, yeah, I won't mention his name because he would be super embarrassed and <laughs> he would probably, I'm sure he would listen to this podcast. Uh but he was like, man, just write her, write her a letter, a handwritten letter. <clears throat> and he actually gave me some some special stationery with a watermark on it. Awesome. And yeah, a, and a little a, wax, like you burn the yeah, wax. Yeah, that sort of thing. <laughs> and a signet ring. And dude. a German uh, German stamp. And yeah, That's I sat nuts. down, and he's like, send it through the German post. And so we went to a NATO base. I sent it through the German post, and it comes, you know, stamped field post. And I don't right. know, it was pretty cool, and she loved it, and I've tried, you know, I would she actually... She probably has it to this day, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, and, and I have box. all the... I still have all the boxes she sent me gifts in and everything. Um, but I would actually, I would, you know, take the time to sit down and try and write something worthwhile other than, right. you know, right. <laughs> how is the weather? It is hot here, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> are you having fun? But, right. so, yeah, it, it was a good time. And I've actually tried to start picking that back up. I, the last time I was gone on a trip a few months ago... I sent my wife some postcards, you know. I didn't write her a letter, but I was like, man. Right. Yeah, I got to start doing this again. Support uh, the U.S. Postal Service. Right. Write letters. Yep. You know, real letters. Yep. So. Uh, yeah, where, where, where were we on this? Like, hey, I don't we're fine. We're fine. <laughs> like, the, the questions are just kind of, you know, yeah, um, sparks. Um, but, so we'll move on to the next one, though. I mean, this no, no, I just I got off on a tangent. Didn't well, even know, this remember one, where I was. This, like. this next one may be my favorite question anyway. And, and we're kind of crossing questions. So uh, yeah. well, I'm just kind of throwing them out there So just for my format. So, okay. uh, but, so this, this next question, and I, I can't tell based on uh, anything that we've talked about, you know, yeah. before the interview. And, and even anything that you've said right now, usually I have a, a fairly good sense for this next question mm-hmm. by the time uh, we get to this point in the interview so it's an actual surprise for me in this case <laughs> um, how do you feel about books as objects uh, and, and what I'm talking about is like paper versus digital you right. know, do you have a bunch of books <clears throat> in your house do you you know books as objects go um, I you know I like it I've always uh, almost not, maybe not the leather bound books that Brett was talking about but you know, <laughs> I've always had a lot of books and I've always enjoyed having a lot of books um, Maybe maybe for show. I mean, I've read, I think now I've accumulated more books than I've read um, the yeah. past couple of years. That's always a good thing. Yeah. Because you always have something to look right. forward to. Right. I mean, I don't, I, have, I don't buy a book unless I find one used for like a quarter somewhere. I haven't bought a book in probably, you know, two years at, at least. At full price, you mean? Yeah, at full price. Right. Um, Publishers and authors. Right. You know, if any were listening to the podcast, <laughs> they would be cringing right yeah, now. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's not that I don't mind paying full price. It's just the fact that I have so many books that I haven't read. Right. And, you know, like I said, if I happen to come, like the Bourne series, I probably would never have read that, but I found, like, all three books for a dollar. Right. So I was like, yeah, I'll take it. And I, you know, everyone said it's great. Um, but <clears throat> is, it, is that Robert Ludlum? Honestly, yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you the author. I just, yeah. yeah. So I everyone, think it's Robert Ludlum. But everyone that's read them says that you know they. Even one of my students just now, he said he's read all of them and they were uh, you know fantastic. So right. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, I like books. Um, again, I, I'll talk about my wife some more. She is, I guess, she realizes that Kindles and stuff have their place, but she's like 
she'll never have one. Right, and right. She, I, I, I admire that. She I signed like that. some petition that is like, uh, you know, swearing to to read the written word or something that like that. That's so awesome. Yeah. So she's really passionate about reading, huh? Oh yeah, she she is, and then especially you know, like I said, reading reading books and having something in your hand. Can you say what she does? Like, did she have like some sort of literary career or? Um, no, she just loves books. Yeah, just loves books. Um, you know, she has like a, a Spanish degree from when she was in Germany, and and right now she writes a, a food blog. Um, right. So she's kind of like a blogger slash professional photographer. You know, she just wow. sold a, a photo to a magazine and wow had wow. some stuff published in well published on like the online portion of like Reader's Digest, Huffington Post, stuff yeah. like that. Sweet. So That's awesome. Yeah. And, and it's it's terrible because she always asked me to proofread her blog before she posts it. And I've had to really sit down and focus. And I'll read it, you know, two, three times because I, I read, and like I said, I read pretty fast. You know how English is that if there's a misspelled word, you'll, you'll realize what it's supposed to be and just go over it. Right. So she would get so frustrated at me because I would read through it. And, and not catch the yeah, errors. Yeah, not catch the errors. And <laughs> so now I've had to, you know, I've had to sit down and I'll read it a couple times. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I keep saying if I deploy again, I'll get probably a Kindle, just so I don't have to carry so many books. And then yeah. especially, you know, medical references are nice to have on like a tablet. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, you can you can access things more quickly. Right. You, you know, it's, it's a word search as opposed to flipping through pages. Yeah, instead of and carrying just the weight. I mean, I still carry, especially the medical books, I still carry probably four or five references with me every time I go. Right, right. If not more, depending on where and when. But Yeah. That's yeah. when I made the, the conversion. Um, I was on my way out of Bangladesh, and I ended up paying, you know, like a ton of money yeah. Um, because, and I was like doing a bunch of repackaging. I left some clothes behind, um, you know, because I didn't want to leave my books behind. Right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. Like, I had so many books when we were living in Florida um, before we moved back up here that I, I, I left probably half of them at my parents' house. Like, I went through and books that I've, that I've read or books I knew I wouldn't get to anytime soon. I right. left them box, boxed up, and it was like last minute. My mom and, and wife actually helped me. Like unpack them and go through them and rebox them real quick. Right. And right. Uh, but yeah, I think I'll probably I'll probably get a, a Kindle at some point. One of my teammates had. Man, it, it, it's it's something crazy. I haven't even looked at all of them, but he gave me a digital copy. It's all in digits, like nine hundred books, man. So yeah, I feel like I yeah. have to get an e-reader that sounds, now. That sounds illegal. So we're gonna. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Well, yeah. Never mind. Well, I'm not saying who it is, and you have to find me first. So, but I think I, I feel like I have to get. Maybe he bought nine hundred yeah, e-books. He probably did. Probably <laughs> ten bucks a pop. Well, How yeah. much is that? I don't know, and I don't I, I don't know what format they're in or anything. But right. I, I feel like now I have to get an, an e-reader to take advantage of this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, um, but it's amazing. Yeah, and then and then you know, like I talked about the audio books. Um, I still love to read and read physical books. I like having something in my hand. That way, no one, you know, unless someone steals it or, or burns it, you know, I'm not gonna lose it. No one can take it away from me. Right. You know, Amazon can't be like that's not yours anymore. That's a, that's a big concern for people. You know, yeah, like, it is. And the long-term uh, prospects of, of you know this yeah. digital thing so to speak you know i mean like is anything safe on the cloud like once the emp comes yeah you know (laughs) yeah and i I still don't have anything on the cloud and you know eventually it's i'm probably gonna have to but right now the robots are gonna wake up and and take everything back from us you know even on stored it on a hard drive man yeah you drop it yeah i'm on a hard drive hard drive with with tons of pictures and my whole first trip 
you know, is still in a drawer waiting for me to get the, you know, stop crying about the 1600 bucks that it's going to take to get it off the, the busted yeah, hard drive. I'm, I'm the same it's way. so expensive. I have, I have an old, like, from when I first came in the Army and, like, first deployment, I have an old, like, 250 gig that's you know like this big the size you know it would probably be like a five terabyte now exactly but it was 250 gigs and i dropped it and i had pictures from the course you know of all my buddies and just doing crazy stuff and even out training and and from africa and yeah i dropped it i was able to some you know some of the other friends had the same pictures so i was able to recover some of those without you know sending it to the chinese or the you know to iran to be recovered or something but <laughs> well you can send it to seattle too but like okay, i said it's yeah. about 1600 bucks <clears throat> right for, yeah for a hard drive. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, I love I love audiobooks, man. One of my teammates got me hooked on it and got an Audible account, and it's just the past. I've just been I've gotten into it so much because I've had so many long drives these days, either to and from work or when I was living in Florida, I was coming up here for training every couple months. So you know, it's like an eight-hour drive. Right. And. I, I even though I still listen to music when the mood strikes me, I just really enjoy listening to audiobooks. Yeah, and I get I end up listening to books that I might not read otherwise. Yeah, um, yeah. Like I got into some of the Tom Clancy, you know, the Jack Ryan series, and I mean they're great books, entertaining, but they're a little sometimes a little cheesy. Right, and, and it's kind of like watching bad TV, you know. Yeah. Like even though it gives you like a, a, a visceral pleasure, yeah. you know, and it's it's good right then. You yeah. feel guilty about you know any time right. that you would have spent reading that actually reading something like that, you yeah. know. No, no offense to Tom Clancy. I mean, no, like, he, yeah. he's amazing. You know? Yeah, and I mean some of the books are out. I, I really enjoyed them, but I probably would have never picked it up to read it if you know in an actual book. Right. But I've right. listened to it. Because you could be reading Moby Dick, you know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> reading, reading some Moby Dick or some Hemingway while I'm wa- letting a deer walk by me. And, right. Right. Uh, yeah, and uh, man, I'm losing my train of thought now. Talking about Tom. No, nah, thinking about Tom Clancy and. Uh, and I feel guilty sometimes. I have to. I feel guilty if I say I read something, but I actually listened to it. Right. So I, I will have to clarify. I'm like, well, I didn't actually read that. I, I listened to it on audiobook. And yeah. some people are like, well, it's the same thing almost. Yeah. yeah. But, but not, not quite. quite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what's funny? Um, um, Walter Mosley, who normally does. You know, are you familiar with him at all? I think Devil so. in a Blue Dress. Yep. Um, a mm-hmm. few other things like that. Um, Ptolemy Gray, I think, was the latest thing he wrote. Uh, or he's probably written a, a bunch since then because mm-hmm. he, he writes a lot. But um. He wrote a sci-fi novel, which I think was new for him at the time, and he talked about, you know, with the advent of all the technology for reading right now, Mm -hmm. I think it started with audiobook, I think, audiobooks rather, even in in his uh, little sci-fi spin on it, but, um, you know, far in the future, there was, essentially reading and and watching had had become one, Mm -hmm. and so there was only a very small segment of the population that was still actually literate. You know, yeah. because the the electronic device sort of delivered the mm-hmm. content to you to to a degree that, that you know very little reading right. as we would now uh, uh, interpret it was was taking place. You know, yeah. and and so I have, have ever, ever since reading that, and probably even a little bit before. Yeah, yeah I'm I'm very hesitant to say <laughs> that I read something when I when I listened to it. Yeah, I, I had to catch myself because I really do feel bad. I'm like. Yeah, it's, no, it's no. not the same, but no. but it still feels good, you know. Like to, or I mean, to to have gotten it, to have listened mm-hmm. to it, you know, it doesn't feel bad at the time. It's like no. eating ice cream, you know. <laughs> yeah. So no. again, like I said, it, even though my wife is very tolerant of everything I do and all my quirks and 
she puts up with a lot of stuff from me, but it, I think it drives her crazy too. Because if I'm helping her clean the house, I have my headphones in and I'm like vacuuming oh, and listening no. to an audiobook. She's trying to talk to me and tell me something, and I have to stop and ask her what, and, you know, ask yeah. over and over again. So. This very, very patient <laughs> woman. Is, she, yeah, she, she sounds amazing. She, she is very patient, very amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, cool. Well, um, let's move to the uh, to the fourth question here, the the second to last one. Um, what is your favorite book of all time? You know, uh, that that's a tough one. I've actually thought about this question quite a bit, and right. you know, I, I I got my wife to listen to the la- your last podcast, and or at least the question portion, um, and. She thought that was a tough question, also. Every well, most everyone does. Brett like had an answer like yeah. right off the top of his head, and and maybe one or two other people have. Right. My dad was the Bible, you know, because because that's pretty much all he reads anyway. Yeah, uh, I was about to say. I feel like that's what I should say. <laughs> but um, you know, it, it, it's one of those things. Like, it, I'll have a favorite book up until a certain point in my life, and then I'll read something else or read a few other things, and I'm like, man, those are even better. And those are my favorites. Right. Um, and it just kind of depends. Yeah, I would have to break it down into, like I said, almost like times in my life or categories. Right, right. Um, I think I told you before the two favorite books that you know my two my two new favorite books that I've read in the past two years um, is One Second After and Folks This Ain't Normal. Right. By One of which Joel I'm Salatin. Gonna, yeah. I do a selection from for for the reading okay. segment of this podcast. Great, great. Yeah, the the Joel Salatin book. So I have to confess, like. I've, I've read it and I've listened to it. Um, so, I mean, you're so covered. I've, yeah, I've done both, um, and, and listening to it too. It's it's like uh, it's like my comfort kind of white noise. You know, if I don't have anything else to listen to, I'll put that on. He reads it himself, so he gets really into it. And he's right. very very well read and very well spoken kind of dude. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just it's entertaining. Like I probably I've read it once and I probably listened to it. Man, like seven times at least. Wow, wow. you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like all you know, That's sixteen impressive. hours of it or something. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, man, I have so many, so many favorites. Like, there's so many books. There's very few books I've read that I was like, gosh, oh my, I cannot believe I wasted my time on that. Right, um, right. That's good. So yeah. Yeah, it's hard to say. Like, I, I'll just have to go with those two, man, for, for the past couple, you know, past I'll couple years. It. I'll accept it. That sounds good. Um, and and like I said, in fact, without bumping the table, okay. um, write those two titles down because okay. that way I don't have to go back searching <laughs> through right. our interview to, uh, to find them. And, and I'm gonna um, I'm gonna read from one of those for uh, for the reading selection. So that brings us into uh, to the final question, um, which is, what are you reading right now? And I think you you've already talked about it a little bit, but if you want to say anything else about uh, what you're reading right now, how how you know magnificent it is, or or you know any anything noteworthy about it, let's have it. Um, well, I can't really say how magnificent it is because I I'm I just started it. Um, my stepdad's been on me to read this for a long time. Uh huh. Um, because it is it is a great book. This um, being the um, yeah Company H right uh, Company from H. The, by the the Confederate private, and it's a great read, great book, and it's one of his favorite books. And he's just been on me. He says it's a travesty that I haven't read it yet. You right, know? And, right. And I started a while back, and again, it's just I got got involved in something. I think I actually started when I was reclassing here to be a medic and you know you know how that goes yeah. I had to just put it down and, right yeah you got you got medical books to read um, but yeah I can't say how great it is um, so far it's good um, I've never really read that many books about the you know 
Civil War, the the, the War for Southern war, Independence, War of Southern Independence, Northern <laughs> Aggression. Yeah, I, I always like to say Southern Independence. I think that's more fitting and more accurate than the, either the one. Northern Aggression. Yeah, or the Civil or, or Civil War. It was, but, uh, it was definitely a Civil War. <laughs> I um, more of Independence. But uh, anyways, uh, yeah, I haven't really read a whole lot of books like that. I read um, Killer Angels. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people. Read, yeah, my, my father-in-law um, gave me that. I want to say, and um, it was good. But again, you still, you know, even though it's historical fiction, you know, it's fiction. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, I liked it. And it was, a, it was a great book, but it's just not something that I can really sink my teeth into necessarily. If I, if it was totally fiction or, you know, or, or you know, nonfiction, I feel, I'd probably feel a little bit different about it. But I get kind of like, eh. You know, kind of on the fence about historical fiction, where it's right. like. So now, uh, I, I was thinking memoir. So it, it it is historical fiction. No, no, this is this is like a memoir. Like, okay. Um, okay. Yeah, and <clears throat> so I I'm hoping it'll be great. I think it will. Um, like I said, the guy was actually college ed- educated before the war started, so it's right. a, it's very well written. It's not just like. You know, some random dude <laughs> wrote wrote something down. Right, who decided uh, he, like, he was you know, going to write? You know, it's not like it would be if I wrote a memoir. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. sure you could you could do a very saleable. Know. It would be memoir. it would be a tough one. It takes some, it would take some work. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm hoping that it'll be it'll be excellent. I think it will. And I actually, um, I just finished a book, "The Savage Wars of Peace" mm-hmm. by Max Boot. Yeah, Max Boot. Yeah, don't get me to lying. Um, so, w- tell me about that one. It's all about. It, it stretches from right after the revolution, like with the whole Monroe Doctrine, and the bar- you know, and, and starting especially with like the Barbary pirates and around Libya and, and the north coast of Africa, um, and how like the U.S. has been involved in all these small skirmishes that no one knows about that have right. gone like you know all over the world, you know, North Africa, like all these specific the islands, the Philippines, China, like hardly, hardly anybody knows we were in China, you know, and, right. and, and Russia also. And uh, it was a, it was a good book. You know, um, it took me a while to read it just from working here and my wife would make fun of me. She's like, you've been working on that for a while now. I mean, it took me a couple months, man, like right, just right. reading a few pages at night and, and, and putting it down to go to sleep. But, um, yeah, yeah. Sweet, sweet. Okay. Well, I think we uh, we covered all the bases there. Uh, is, is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we uh, get out of here? Um, no, man, I can't think of anything. Uh, I feel like I've rambled on and gotten off on a tangent quite a bit. That's that's um, the whole point of, of what we're doing. What, what are you reading right now, Larry? Uh, you know, I'm reading a book called The Way of Zen uh, right oh, now. Oh, yes, by, okay, I yeah, saw you reading Alan Watts. Uh, I'm kind of into, uh, he has a, well, he's, he's sort of dead, but uh, his family uh, has a podcast, you know, of his, uh, of his, uh, audio, like some of his speeches That's and, and cool. lectures. Yeah. yeah, it's really good. Um, they they only do about ten or fifteen minutes of it at a time. Yeah, uh, and he has he has a pretty big body of published work as well. This is the second of his books that I've read and I've listened to, you know, hours and hours of his audio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting back, jumping back to a question on like how you how we choose books or how I choose a book. Um, there are like. So I do have a few books that I'll, I will read. Um, there's a couple authors. I'm from Florida, and they write all about Florida. Um, a lot of their books are set in Florida. Like um, Carl Heisen is one. You know, I went Carl? through a phase where I read like four of his books yeah, like, in, I, in a month. And, it, and it's like one of those they're, things. Yeah, they're it's just, like watching TV. I mean, yeah, like, it you, is. You can drink his books. It is. Um, <laughs> 
yeah, skinny the, dip. I yep, think was skinny one of, dip. Read that one in like striptease yeah. and all, all those books. Double whammy. I, I love them, man. Especially because it's about Florida, and he. I don't know. I just really enjoy it. And yeah, I, and very I just, evocative. Very. I mean, very. You know, like you can see it unfold. Yeah. Yeah. And. Um, yeah, some books, like, and there's another author kind of along the same lines uh, named, man, I, I, I hate to get his name wrong, but it's uh, Terry Crews, but he's like, Carl Heisen's from like the Miami area, and Terry Crews is like from the Jacksonville kind of area, so it's two different ends of Florida, and very different perspective, right. and different atmosphere, you know, but... but um, is the writing similar? I mean, in, in that it's easily uh, digested like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Um, and... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what made me, made that pop in my head. But. I'm glad it did. I'm glad it did. <laughs> yeah, Carl Heisen. I, I really enjoy those. Uh, yeah, and I'm really looking forward to a book that, you know, I feel like it's being written in the process. A mutual acquaintance, acquaintance of ours has, is writing it. I'll tell you about it afterwards because um, okay, yeah. I don't want to like spill the beans. Right, that sounds really book. good. I can't, yeah, I can't wait. It, it's a real, it's a really cool concept. And when he told me about it. Um, Fiction, we were, nonfiction. Um, well, sort of historical fiction, right? Because um, right. you know about some of his experiences, but he doesn't really want to use real names and not necessarily can use the, the actual facts. So, right, it's kind of loosely based off of his experiences. And we were, my wife and I were down hanging out with him in, in Key West, and he told me about it, and I was just like blown away. It's like, oh my god, you know, this is gonna be so so great. This right. is such a cool idea and cool concept, and um, yeah, cool. I'm, I'm really excited about it. And who knows when it'll be written, finished, you know. If, if it's 10 years from now, I'll still be excited to read it. Right, right. Well, I can't wait to hear about this. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess, I, okay, I'm, I'm done rambling on and done babbling. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. All right, well, we, we actually are done now because I, I want to hear uh, about this book. Yeah. So, um, hey, thanks again, man, for uh, for sitting down uh, to talk with me. Yeah, definitely, man. It was uh, it was you know fun time as soon as i heard your podcast and when i mentioned it, i was like man i gotta listen to this and not too many people you know that i know have talked about books on a podcast and uh, yeah thanks for having me and my pleasure questions my pleasure thanks um so all right folks well we're, we're going now uh, i'm gonna get this on the web as soon as possible and uh i'm gonna turn this thing off and, and hear about this book so uh we'll uh, we'll see you in the next segment bye-bye One Second After by William R. Forschin One Second After For I have become death, the destroyer of worlds. Chapter 1 Black Mountain, North Carolina, 230 EDT John Matherson lifted the plastic bag off the counter. You sure I have the right ones, he asked? Nancy, the owner of the shop, Ivy Corner, smiled. Don't worry, John. She already had them picked out weeks ago. Give her a big hug and kiss for me. Hard to believe she's twelve today. John sighed and nodded, looking down at the bag, stuffed with a dozen beanie babies, one for each year of Jennifer's life, which started twelve years ago this day. Hope she still wants these at thirteen, he said. God save me when that first boy shows up at the door wanting to take her out. The two laughed, Nancy nodding in agreement. He was already enduring that with Elizabeth, his 16-year-old, and perhaps because of that, 
and so many other reasons as well. He just wished that he could preserve, could drag out just for a few more days, weeks, or months, the precious time all fathers remember fondly, when they still had their little girl. It was a beautiful spring day, the cherry trees lining the street in full bloom, a light shower of pink petals drifting on the wind as he walked up the street, past Doc Keller's office, the antique stores, the new, rather gothic-looking art gallery that had it opened last month, the usual curio shops, and even an old-style ice cream parlor at a dollar fifty a scoop. Next up the street was Benson's used and rare books. John hesitated, wanting to go in just for a few minutes, then pulled out his cell phone to check the time. 2.30. Her bus would be rolling in at 3. No time today to go in, have a cup of coffee, and talk about books and history. Walt Benson saw him, held up a cup, gesturing for John to join him. He shook his head, pointed to his wrist, even though he no longer wore a watch, and continued to walk up to the corner where his Talon SUV was parked in front of Taylor's Hardware and General Store. John paused and looked back down the street for a moment. I'm living in a damn Norman Rockwell painting, he thought yet again, for the thousandth time. Winding up here, he never imagined it, never planned for it, or even wanted it. Eight years back, he was at the Army War College, Carlisle, Pennsylvania, teaching military history and lecturing on asymmetrical warfare and waiting to jump the hoop and finally get his first star. And then two things happened. His promotion came through with an assignment to Brussels as a liaison to NATO, a rather nice posting which would most likely end out his career. And then Mary had returned from the doctors several days after the promotion, her face pale, lips pressed tight, and said four words. I have breast cancer. The commandant at Carlisle, Bob Scales, an old friend who had stood as godfather for John's Jennifer, understood the request John then laid before him. He would take the promotion, but could it be to the Pentagon? It had placed them nearby to John Hopkins and not too far from Mary's family. It didn't work. Cutbacks were hitting as it was, oh, there was a great sympathy from upstairs, but he had to take Brussels if he wanted the star, and maybe a year later they'd find a slot for him stateside. After talking to Mary's doctor, John resigned. He would take her back home to Black Mountain, North Carolina, which was what she wanted, and the cancer treatment center at Chapel Hill would be nearby. Bob's connections were good, remarkably good, when John first mentioned Black Mountain. A single phone call was made. The old boy network, though disdained as politically incorrect, did exist, and it did help at times when needed. The president of Montreat College, North Carolina, in Mary's hometown, did indeed suddenly need an assistant director of development. John hated development and admissions work but survived it until finally a tenure-track professorship in history opened four years back, and he was slotted in. The fact that the president of the college, Dan Hunt, 
owed his life to Bob Scales, who had dragged him out of a minefield back in 1970, was a definite mark in John's favor that could not be ignored between friends. Dan had lost his leg. Bob got another of his bronze stars for saving him, and the two had been buddies ever since, each looking out as well for those whom the other cared for. So Mary got to go home, after twenty years of following John from Benning to Germany to Okinawa and sweating out Desert Storm. After that, there was the Pentagon, then a year, a wonderful year at West Point, and then three more wonderful years teaching at Carlisle. At heart, he was a history teacher, and maybe whichever bastard in the personnel office at the Pentagon had nixed John's request to stay stateside had done him a favor. So they came home to Black Mountain, North Carolina. He didn't hesitate one second in granting her wish, resigning his commission and promotion, and moving to this corner of the Carolina mountains. He looked back down Main Street, frozen for a moment in time and memories. Mary would be gone four years next week. Her last time out had been a slow, exhausting walk down this street, which as a girl she had run along. It was indeed a Norman Rockwell town. That final walk down the street with her, everyone knew her, everyone knew what was happening, and everyone came out to say hi, to give her a hug, a kiss, all knowing it was farewell, but not saying it. It was a gesture of love John would never forget. He pushed the thought aside. It was still too close, and Jennifer's bus would be pulling up in twenty minutes. He got into his talon, started it up, turned onto State Street, and headed east. He did love the view on State Street as it curved through town, past yet more shops, nearly all the buildings red brick, dating back to the turn of the century. The village had once been a thriving community, part of the tuberculosis sanitarium business. When the railroad had finally pierced the mountain of western North Carolina in the early 1880s, some of the first to flood in were tuberculosis victims. They came by the thousands to the sanitariums that sprang up on every sunlit mountain slope. By the early 20s, there were a dozen such institutions surrounding Asheville, the big city situated a dozen miles to the west of Black Mountain. And then came the Depression. Black Mountain remained frozen in time until antibiotics became available right after the war and the sanitariums emptied out. And all those wonderful buildings, which in other towns would have given way to shopping plazas and strip malls, had remained intact, progress passing Black Mountain by. Now there were conference centers for various churches and summer camps for kids where the sanitariums had been. His own college had been founded at such a site, up in what everyone called the Cove. A small college, 600 kids, most of them from small towns across the Carolinas and a few from Atlanta or Florida. Some of the kids were freaked out by the relative isolation, but most of them grudgingly admitted they loved it. A beautiful campus, a safe place, an old logging trail across the edge of the campus leading straight up on to Mount Mitchell, good white water nearby for kayaking 
and plenty of woods to disappear into for partying for some of them, to get around the fairly strict campus rules. The town itself was finally revived starting in the 1980s, but wonderfully, the charming turn-of-the-century look was maintained, and in the summer and fall, the streets were crammed with tourists and day-trippers coming up from Charlotte or Winston-Salem to escape the boiling heat of the lowlands, joined by hundreds of summer cottagers who lived in the cove. Many of the cottages darned near mansions for some of the older wealth of the South. That had been Mary's family, Old South and Wealth. Mima Jenny, Mary's mother, and Jennifer's namesake, still hung doggedly on to their home up in the cove, refusing to consider moving, even though Papa Tyler was now in a nearby nursing home, in the final stages of cancer. John continued to drive east, the traffic on Interstate 40 coming up through the Swannanoa Gap, roaring by on his left. The old-timers in the town still expressed their hatred of that darn road. Before it came in, Black Mountain was a sleepy southern mountain hamlet. With the road had come development, traffic, and the floods of tourists on weekends that the Chamber of Commerce loved and everyone else tried to tolerate. Staying on the old highway that paralleled the interstate, John drove for less than a mile out of town, then turned right onto a dirt road that twisted up the side of a hill overlooking the town. The old mountain joke used to be, you know you're getting directions to a mountain home when they say, turn onto the dirt road. For a kid from New Jersey, John still got a bit of a kick out of the fact that he did indeed live in the south, on the side of a mountain, halfway up a dirt road, with a view worth a million bucks. The home he and Mary had purchased was in one of the first new developments in the area. In a county where there was no zoning, the lower part of the hill had several trailers, an old shack where Connie Yarborough, a wonderful down-the-hill neighbor, still did not have electricity or town water, and next to her was an eccentric Volkswagen repair shop. The owner, Jim Bartlett, a true 60s throwback, had his lot littered with dozens of rusting beetles, vans, and even a few precious VW buses and Carmen Gias. The town, which Mary and John named Rivendell because of their mutual love of Tolkien, offered a broad sweeping view of the valley below. The skyline of Asheville was in the distance, framed by the Great Smoky Mountains beyond, facing due west so Mary could have her sunsets. When trying to describe the view, he'd just tell friends, Check out Last of the Mohicans. It was filmed a half hour from where we live. It was a fairly contemporary looking type of home with high ceilings. The west wall from the bedroom across the living room to the dining area was all glass. The bed was still positioned to face the glass wall as Mary had wanted it, so she could watch the outside world as her life drifted away. He pulled up the drive. The two idiots, Ginger and Zack, both golden retrievers, both beautiful-looking dogs, and both thicker than bricks when it came to brains, had been out sunning on the bedroom deck. 
They stood up and barked madly as if he were an invader. Though if he were a real invader, they'd have cowered in terror and stained the carpet as they fled into Jennifer's room to hide. The two idiots charged through the bedroom, then out through the entryway screen door, the lower half of which was a charade, as the screen was gone. Put a new one in. It'd last a few days, and the idiots would charge right through it again. John had given up on that fight years ago. As for actually closing the door, it never even crossed his mind anymore. This was Black Mountain. Strange as it seemed, folks rarely locked up. Keys were left in cars. Kids did indeed play in the streets in the evening. There were parades for the 4th of July, Christmas, and the ridiculous Pinecone Festival, complete with the crowning of a Miss Pinecone. Papa Tyler had absolutely humiliated his daughter Mary in front of John early on in their courtship, when he proudly pulled out a photo of her, Miss Pinecone, 1977. In Black Mountain, there was still an ice cream truck that made the rounds on summer nights. It was all one hell of a difference from his boyhood just outside of Newark, New Jersey. There was a car parked at the top of the driveway. Mary's mother, Mima Jenny. Mima Jenny was behind the wheel of her wonderful and highly eccentric 1959 Ford Edsel. Ford. That's where the family money had come from. Ownership of a string of car dealerships across the Carolinas dating back to Henry Ford himself. There was even a photo framed in the house up in the cove of Mary's great-granddad and Henry Ford at the opening of a dealership in Charlotte, back before World War I. Though it wasn't polite to be overtly business in their strata, and Jenny preferred the role of genteel southern lady, in her day John knew she was one shrewd business person, as was her husband. John pulled up alongside the Edsel. Jenny put down the book she was reading and got out. Hi, Jen. She absolutely hated ma, mother, mom, or mortal sin of all mortal sins, Mima, or grandma from her Yankee son-in-law, who was definitely not her first choice for her only daughter. But that had softened with time, especially towards the end, especially when he had brought the girls back home to Jen. The two got out of their cars and she held up a cheek to be kissed. Her height, at little more than five foot two, overshadowed by his six foot four bulk, and there was a light touch of her hand on his arm and an affectionate squeeze. Thought you'd never get here in time. She'll be home any minute. Jen had yet to slip into the higher pitch or gravelly tone of an old lady's voice. He wondered if she practiced every night reciting before a mirror to keep that wonderful, young woman-sounding southern lilt. It was an accent that still haunted him, the same as Mary's when they had first met at Duke 28 years ago. At times, if Jen was in the next room and called to the girls, it would still bring tears to his eyes. We have time. Why didn't you go inside to wait? With those two mongrels? The way they jumped, they'd ruin my nylons. Ginger and Zack were all over John, jumping, barking, leaping about, 
and studiously avoiding Jen. Though dumb, Goldens knew when someone didn't like them, no matter how charming they might be. John reached in, pulled out the bag of beanies, and walking over to the stone wall that bordered the path to the house, began to line them up, one at a time, setting them side by side. Now, John, really isn't she getting a bit old for that? Not yet. Not my little girl. Jen laughed softly. You can't keep time back forever. I can try, can I? He said with a grin. She smiled sadly. How do you think Tyler and I felt about you the day you came through our door? He reached out and gave her an affectionate touch on the cheek. You guys loved me. You? A Yankee? Like hell. Tyler actually thought about driving you off with a shotgun. And that first night you stayed over. Even after all these years, he found he still blushed a bit at that. Jen had caught Mary and him in a less than proper situation on the family room sofa at two in the morning. Though not fully improper, it was embarrassing nonetheless, and Jen had never let him live it down. And so comes to a close this October 31st uh, Halloween episode of It's in a Book. Thanks very much to Jared Shuey for listening to and answering our five questions. Uh, you did a really great job with those, Jared. Uh, and uh, thanks again. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, we will be back uh, in the month of November. Hopefully, uh, I'm going to get two podcasts out in November, and I'll tell you why. Um, we, we're still dedicated to uh, the, the once-a-month format. It's really the only thing that I can keep up. But uh, I have a very uh, wonderful, very special friend uh, named Rosalind Bell. She's a playwright. You can Google her and, and uh, just find out all about her and her plays. And she is going to be at my house in November, and even if I have to tie her up, uh, I'm going to get her answers to our five questions, and so, and so I would love to do a podcast uh, featuring Rosalind and uh, whichever book she'd like me to read. Um, so, uh, without any further uh, chatter, I'm going to get out of here, and uh, we'll see you uh, next month. Thanks. It's in a book.